0: Welcome to the Overflow podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Look at your neighbor and say, get wild. We give you permission to be wild. You know, uh, churches over the centuries have done a really good job of taming people, right? And... Um, not criticizing other churches, but I believe it's time for us to tap into our identity and who God created us to be, to be wild, free people. Come on. Not wild like you might think wild, but wild like God created you to be. So we're going to start off this series today and go until uh, Easter time. And um, so we're really excited just about all the incredible things that God's doing here at Overflow Church and in your life. And so, uh, we want to set you free today. Everybody good? How many of y'all want freedom in your life? More freedom. Come on. How many, how many want to see freedom in your family and freedom in your workplace? You just, you just want to be a portal of freedom that everywhere you go, it's just people are like chains just fall off of people. You don't even have to say anything. You just walk in and man, just chains fall off. It's just because you're there because the, the spirit of the Lord, the presence of Jesus is all over you and where he goes, he sets captives free. And, uh, you know, it's always good when we start a series. um, It's always good when we do anything in our life to really reflect and think about the nature of God. You know, we can only begin to understand our nature when we begin to understand his. Are you with me? You can't figure out who you are. Everybody, you know, people talk about, I'm just trying to find myself. Listen, you will. First of all, you need to dot to yourself. What you need to do is you need to find him. If you find him, you will find the key to yourself because he is your creator. And if you will get your eyes off of the creation, you know, people, there's this thing about, you know, people sending out vibes and, you know, uh, the universe is speaking. How many of y'all have heard that? Why would you want to care what the universe says whenever you can talk to the one who created the universe? Like, I don't care what the universe is saying. I want to know what God is saying. He created the whole thing by his words. And so if his words can create all that, then how much more will it impact me? So we can only begin to understand iron age by understanding his. If I asked you today, I said, give me some words to describe God. What are, some, what are some words that we can describe God? What's the first one that comes to mind? Obviously. Holy, love, incredible, faithful, benevolent, gentle, love, patient, tender. These are all words that we describe God by. And they're they're kind of what we would call the the, the, the kind of sane words, right? The the lot the likable words, the safe words. But I want to expose you to a little bit more of God's nature today. You know, we can look a lot about God, and we can look about uh, learn a lot about God by what He creates. You know, creativity. For how many of you would consider yourself creative individual? Uh, can I tell you today, you are creative no matter what you think, because you were made in the likeness of your heavenly father. And so you are creative. Some of us have a gift for creativity. Some of us had nurtured a gift of creativity, but we can learn a lot about a person by what they create. Come on. Um, you can know a lot about the music industry and the people that write those songs. You can read those songs and listen to those songs and you can learn a lot about the people that put that music out. Because that music is a reflection of who they are. Everything that we create is a reflection of who we are. It always flows out of our identity. So when God creates the heavens and the earth, all this was something that was already inside of him. Are you with me? So He said, let there be light. Well, we know that God is light. And so when he said, let there be light, boom, light happened. What was that? That was an expression of who he is. And so on the sixth day, and we we know we're not going to go into the whole creation story, but we know on the sixth day, it says this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. Then God said, let the earth produce. God likes that produce thing. Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. Livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. Everybody say wild. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, wild, everybody say wild, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. How many know that wild begets wild? Right? And God saw that it was good. Good. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals of the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. How many know that when God created the world, He didn't create a civilized, domesticated world? It wasn't a chaotic world, it was intentionally wild. Because we'll say, no, no. God's a God of order. Yes, absolutely, God is a God of order. Because God is very intentional. So God's order is wildness. He created a wild world. And then he threw a wild man and woman in it. And he said, they're wild, it's all wild. And then what did we do? We tamed it. But can I tell you this? I'm afraid that the world has tamed us. I'm afraid that the systems of man have tamed us. Jesus dealt with a very tame system when he came on the earth. A wild man came. How do you know Jesus is wild? Because he was in on creation. So he created a wild world, intentionally wild. When we look, when we ask that question, what is God like? We immediately, again, the very safe terms. Right, The very things that we're comfortable with, the things that bring us comfort, that we're okay with, those are the things that come to our mind. But can I tell you that God is so much bigger than your experience? God is so much bigger than what the world or even the church has betrayed. So when we look about uh, on God, we can see that he is also fierce, that he is completely unpredictable that he is wild and he is unsafe. God is very unsafe. Stay with me today. Exodus chapter three is the call of Moses. You guys remember that? Moses is out shepherding sheep in the wild. And God shows up in the wild in the form of a burning bush. Remember? And the bush didn't light up. What was that? It was a fire. What is a fire? Okay, What happens when you tame a fire? It goes out. I mean, isn't that what firefighters do? They contain the fire, so the fire goes out. Uh, Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. The next representation we see of God on the earth is a pillar of fire. By night in a cloud, a pillar of cloud by day. What happens if you contain a cloud? It's no longer a cloud. And then in Exodus 19, we see that Moses goes up whenever he goes up to get the Ten Commandments to Mount Sinai, and he goes up to the mountain, and God reveals himself in this huge storm. All these clouds, all this fire, all this, what would appear to be violence, if you will. And God shows up there. God is saying, this is who I am. I'm uncontainable. If you were to contain me, you would violate my nature. This is who I am. And he speaks to Moses. See, many times we think because we're created in the image of God, that God is like us. That's the wrong perspective. You are not like God in that sense, in the sense of his holiness. You were created in his likeness. Our goal and our ambition in life is to reflect his image, to get back to looking like God looks, and you do look more like God than you used to, but you're really totally different because he is is the holy one. That means he is other than. That means that he's completely uncommon. And so we have all these grids and all these illustrations through Scripture to let us in on the nature of God. Why didn't God show up in one way? Because you can't define God by one way. He's multifaceted. He's huge. He's uncontainable. So Moses is up on the mounting mountain meeting with God, getting the Ten Commandments, giving them essentially a system so they can get some kind of grid to understand how holy God is. And really this was all setting up Jesus. And when Moses is up on the mountain, now understand that they just got out of Egypt. You guys remember the story? They go out of Egypt. God frees them. Let my people go. He calls Moses in the fire. Moses goes out. He leads them out. And then while they're out there in the wilderness, God says, hey, come up. Come up here. I want to show you something. So Moses says, okay. And he's like, make sure the people stay back there because you're the only one that can come close to me because there's so much violence. I know that we don't like that, but this is the scripture. So Moses goes up, and while Moses is up there meeting with God, look what happens. Exodus thirty-two, verse one. Now it's only been like forty days. In fact, it probably haven't even reached the full forty days yet that he was up there. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Now Aaron was like the second in charge. Come on, they said, make us some gods that can lead us. Come on, man, make us some gods. Who can lead us? We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears, from the wives and sons and daughters, and bring them to me. Get all the jewelry together. Get all the gold in the land and bring it. Verse four, then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the it, and when the people saw it, they exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought us the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were. He's like, we're doing pretty good. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced tomorrow will be a festival of the Lord. Now, how many know that that wasn't going to be a festival of the Lord? That was going to be the festival to some other God that the people begged for, the God that people had created in their own mind and their own experience. See, this was the same kind of idols that the children of Israel worshipped back when they were in Egypt. So this was the only kind of God they knew. God was saying, I want to show my people who I am. Moses, come up. I'm going to show you. You'll go back and give them the revelation. And while they were waiting, they fashion to God that they were comfortable with. And we, we know the, the second commandment, right? That you, you, the first commandment is have no other gods before me. The second one, don't make any idols. Don't make it in the shape of anything. Don't have, ha, have a grid, have an understanding, but don't, don't form a, an image to worship. So I want to talk about two lenses that we carry, two, two idols that we carry around in our lives you okay? And we're all a little guilty. Let's, let's, just, let's just shoot straight, right? We're all a little guilty for having these little gods that we fashioned and formed, that we worship. And we go, let's do a festival for God. Right? Y'all okay? Everybody say, he loves me. And so does Pastor Josh. <laughs> all right. Two idols. The first one is our lenses. Our lenses, the way that we see things. The way that we see things are based upon, number one, our experience. Right? Our experience. This is exactly what the Israelites used to do. They worshiped God in their way. How many know that their intention might have been right, but they were totally wrong? For the Israelites, this is what they used to do. It was their experience. I mean, can you blame them? You know, they they came out of Egypt, but Egypt never got out of them. Beloved, let me tell you this. Your experience and your history is critical. It's absolutely critical. Even your good history and your good experience, your bad experience is also critical. And listen, can I tell you, beloved, that your history with God is so critical in your life, but don't allow it to cripple your future. Just because God did it in the past that way doesn't mean he's going to do it that way in the future don't worship the method. And this is what we do. So history with God is critical, but don't let it cripple you of your present and your future. Because can I tell you that God wants to blow your mind? He just, he's not interested in being so predictable and palatable to you. In fact, I believe that God wants to do something extraordinary, extraordinarily wild because he likes to wow us. But we develop this God and we worship it based upon our experience, based upon maybe even something that God showed himself. It'd be like if I created a lion, an image of a lion, and I prayed to that because God reveals himself as a lion, it would still be idolatry. Y'all okay? So the first one is our experience. And the second one that goes along with that, well, it's actually not really a second, but it's, it falls in line with the experience is revelation. Come on. We love revelation, man. I love when God reveals something to me. Right? But can I tell you that sometimes revelation can hinder our understanding because we get so locked into what God has showed us at one point in time in our life and then we never learn anything else. Don't be so prideful uh, in in what you know that it becomes a a, a hindering, a a hindering block uh, to what you don't know. Sometimes the worst enemy is not what is, is what we know, not even what we don't know. I mean, what you don't know is a problem, but sometimes what we know is a bigger problem. I mean, the people that were worshiping Jesus when he showed up on the scene, they had a problem. They knew some things, and it was keeping them stuck. So we love revelation. We want revelation. We long for revelation, but we want more revelation. And what we do is God gives us and he shows us something. I'm convinced that God doesn't do more because we get so hung up on what he did previously. Now, scripture tells us to remember what the Lord does. God's all about history, but do not allow that to hinder you in the future. Revelation is meant to serve as the floor, not a ceiling. Revelation is meant to serve as the floor, not the ceiling. And that's what we do. God, well, this is what God said. So it's going to be like this all the time. Maybe, maybe he wants to do something new in your life. Now, nothing's new to God, but it'll be new to you. It'll be fresh to you. He's the ancient of days. If, it, if anything seems new, it's just God unfolded something. He's eternal, man. Y'all all right? My goal today is, is, is to equip you with a sense of awe, a, a sense of wonder, because we've gotten too comfortable. And that's the second part about our lenses is our familiarity. Oh, I know God. You know, Adam and Eve knew God pretty well. I mean, face to face in the garden every single day. They were very familiar. Maybe familiarity sometimes is forgetting when it comes to God. Maybe forgetting how powerful he is. I love this quote by Bobby Conner. He says, we have become all too familiar with a God we hardly even know. Yeah, we know God, man. We've had experiences with God. But listen, if you had 10 million years of experience with God, you barely know him. If God is blowing you, if you have the Bible completely memorized... You barely know him. We've become all too familiar with a God we hardly even know. And so we, we have this, this idol in our life of familiarity. A God that we're comfortable with, that fits our taste, that fits our palate, right? Our preference. We've created, we've created a God that we found palatable, and no wonder he's powerless, We've created a God that we find palatable, and wonder why He is powerless. In Ezekiel, man, I know this is heavy today. Y'all lining up? We're all right. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, we're going to get there. I want I want to awaken you, the awareness of how wild and uncommon God is. Ezekiel chapter fourteen. I, I want you to read this. This is this is crazy. This is a a switch for some of you. When any Israelite sets up an idol in his heart and puts a wicked wicked uh, stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. In other words, God is saying this. If you set up an idol as judgment, I'll answer you according to the idol you set. So when you develop a formula and the formula works, it might not be blessing. Are you with me? So God's answer to you isn't a sign of his blessing in that. It's actually a sign of his judgment. So God will answer people according. This is why a lot of false religions in the world work. Because when we set up idols, God in judgment will answer according to those idols in our heart. Oh, man, that sounds so mean of God. Read the next verse. I will do this to recapture the hearts. See, judgment, we misunderstand judgment. We misunderstand wrath. Judgment, God's, the goal of God's judgments, the goals of God's wrath are always to recapture our heart. It's always, it's always to get rid of the stuff in our lives that hinder our love for him. That, that's what judgment is. So what we do as, as the people of God, we don't say, man, we just let's ignore the su- subject of judgment. No, we embrace it for our lives. And we say, God, would you come and judge me? Because I want to get rid of everything in my life that hinders my love for you. Doesn't hinder his love for you, but it does hinder your love for him. So sometimes the greatest prayer that you can pray is, God, judge me. Now, you're not asking for a violent wrath thing where he comes and, you know, does something that he, you know, he's not going to undo anything he did at the cross. Beloved, are you with me? But that he would come in and convict you deeply. That he would come and make you so unsatisfied that you would get your love back. That you would go after him. And so his, his, his desire in that is to capture your heart. So why do some false ideologies work right there? Y'all okay? I know that's not fun scripture, but it's there. Man, pastor. Usually so. We'll get there. So our lenses. It's a great idol. Number two, our fences. Our lenses and our fences. We have our little lenses. This is the way God is. I've had this. I know the Lord. God would never. Then we have our fences. You know, some treat God like a domesticated house pet. I know it's heavy today. Listen, we treat God like a domesticated house pet. This is where you eat. You eat right over here, God. Right over here, this this is where you eat. This is where you pee and poop. You have permission here. Don't scratch the furniture. Don't damage anything. Don't let your presence be that known. I want you domesticated. I want you in a way that I can contain you. And then some of us say, Oh, not me. I let God go wild in the house and then you let him in the yard that's fenced in. God, you can go here and you can go, but don't go past that area. Fences. And then if we do take him out, we have him on a leash. All right, God, you can do this, but don't do that. God, I like you at home. But stay off my social media account. Come on. We think that we're more wise than God is of reaching our unbelieving friends. So we shut the Holy Spirit down and say, dwell in our fence. Because you want God to be palatable to them like he is to you. We get very uncomfortable when we start talking about unca- uncaging the God that we worship. So what we do is we develop this like real strict theology. Listen, you need to have theology. I'm, I'm very much know what I believe and I will defend those things. But I'm also very open handed with my theology if scripture says otherwise. Yes. But so, like, there's, like, uh, this debate on, like, worship music, you know? Like, people are like, well, is it, it a sloppy wit kiss? God doesn't do anything sloppy. Or is it reckless love? God's not reckless. And so we, we like, have this theology. So, like, the song shows up that we don't like, that we don't, uh, quote, unquote, agree with, and we don't sing it. Or we change the words. It's always so annoying to me. It's like, there you go. Won't you just don't you just fashion God in a way that you find comfortable because you're uncomfortable with that verb. I give my kids sloppy, wet kisses. I don't know about you, but we do in our house, so I don't have a problem singing that because that's an act of affection. Sloppy, sloppy. Reckless, tearing things down, going after anything to get their heart. Wild, crazy love. He cannot be domesticated, beloved. He cannot be. Jeremiah twenty three twenty three says, am I a God who is only close at hand? Says the Lord, no, I'm far away at the same time. I'm right here, but I'm also over there. Will you come find me over here? Or will you only worship in your safe space? And then we have our other limitations, our other fences, the, the wants, the can'ts, the don'ts. These are things that God can't do, things that he, he, he I know he'll do it for somebody else, but he, but he won't do it for me. Listen, there are things that God can't do that will violate his nature. Okay? Let's, let's talk about that. Here, here, here you go. And understand that these, these are not things to fence him in, fence him in. They're actually catapults to launch your revelation. See, all the things that God can't do work in our favor. Understand this? All the things that God can't do work in your favor. For instance, he can't lie. God can't lie. Why? Because that would violate his nature. Because God is holy and lying is unholy. No matter how small or how big the lie is, lie is unholy. So God can't be unholy. He can't lie. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. You're made in his likeness but we abandoned that for the most part. Number two, he can't change Malachi three, six for I am the Lord. I change not Hebrews 13, eight says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will all, he will never change. He's always the same. He's trustworthy because of that. He, he can't change because he doesn't need to change. There's no reason in which he would need to change. He's already as perfect as you can imagine. There's nothing that needs to change. His plans are already perfect. They don't need to change. And number three, he can't stop loving you. He can't not be love. I know it's double negative. I don't care. Say he don't care. He can't not be love. It's who he is. He cannot violate his nature. Just like I can't not be Josh Brown. I'm going to be Josh Brown. I'm going to always be Josh Brown. I mean, I can do some weird thing, like go change my name to like, Yashu Kabashish or something weird like that, you know. All of y'all would probably go to church elsewhere. I would understand. I will always be Josh Brown. And my, my nature can change, however, come on. But God's nature doesn't change. So he can't not be love. And, and let me say this, he won't be driven by anything other than love. Love is, when we talk about that judgment step, it's all driven by love. It's all driven by love jeremiah 31 3 i have loved you with an everlasting love now when god talks about forever when god talks about everlasting it's different than your everlasting your everlasting has a beginning and might not have an end for most of us it does have an end it's like three weeks that's usually our forever scale or till the day i die even but god's scale of forever is eternity past and eternity future god does not live in the context of time Beloved, do you understand this? this is God is outside of space and time. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the ancient of days. He is. He just is. I know that's hard to understand, and you probably spend the next, you know, fifty years thinking about that and trying to wrap your brain about it and around it. But you probably can't because our lives are defined by time. But He has loved you with an everlasting love. Other words, His love that has no beginning and it has no end. He loves you. Loves you. Loves you. Loves you. Period. God loves me. No buts, if, ands, buts about it. He loves you. The end. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to get out of it. He just loves you. But, no, he just loves you. And he draws you with his loving kindness. So the fact that you responded to that, listen, the, the fact that you responded to his love, Jesus says that no man can come to the Father unless he draws him. So the fact that you said yes to God was an act of God saying, I'm so good. Don't you want me? Yes. Yes, I do. That was his idea, not yours. So he is wild, but he's good and he's loving. And then we have this like God won't don't mindset. And it's kind of a hopeless mindset. Like God might do that for for Nathan because he's so nice and everybody loves him. But God would never do that for me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been that way? Have you ever had that fence up in your life? They say, man, God, I know God loves me. I know he's good and stuff, but I don't think that God would do that for me. You know, I've heard the doctors reported, and, and it's just not good. You know, there's just no way my marriage is going to work out. Would you stop thinking in the realm of natural possibilities and start realizing that nothing is impossible with God. Not for me, not for you, not for anybody. Nothing is impossible for the God that we serve. He is wild, uncaged, untamed. He can do what he wants. And stop defining him by his don'ts and his won'ts. There's a few things he won't and don't do. We talked about those. They all work in your favor. And listen, that is a hopeless statement. He won't do that for me. And to reject hope is to reject God's goodness. That's not a convicting statement. That's for you to understand. Beloved, understand this. Stop rejecting hope. God is good and he wants to show you his goodness. There's always hope. Always there's hope. There is always hope because Jesus is always on the throne. Always hope. There's no hopeless situation. It's an illusion. Hopelessness is an illusion. Whether you're a homeless man on the street, come on, or, or you have, you know, a full bank accounts and live in the, the house you dream. It doesn't matter. You are never, ever hopeless. It doesn't matter how sinful you've been. It doesn't matter how righteous you've been. It doesn't matter. You are never, ever hopeless. What if... What if he doesn't, what if this doesn't happen? God don't do that. God won't do that. Some might say that he won't do this and he won't do that. But what we should say is, what won't he do? Stop saying God won't do that and start saying, what won't he do? When you get the doctor's report, I don't know if God will heal. What won't God do? Will you let faith rise in you, beloved? What if he is the God of the wildly extraordinary? What if he is? What if he is as wildly in love with you as his word says? What if it's true? What if the story that we come and we talk about every single Sunday, that we we live our lives at the meeting that we have every morning, what if it's all true? Do we believe? Beloved, it is true. See, unbelief is the only te- context in which God will not move. It's unbelief. Will you believe? Will you believe? <laughs> Hebrews 11:6 Without faith it is impossible to please him. There's an impossibility. God can't be pleased without faith. That's another, that could be number four for your notes. God can't be pleased without faith. Ouch. Now, again, faith can be really small, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he come, who comes to God must believe that He is, one translation says, exist. I like it, but I don't like it because even the demons believe that he exists. Scripture tells us, and they tremble, but believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Believe that he is, that he is who he says he is, that he is who the scripture paints him out to be is this wild God. Not simply that he exists, but but believe in his reality. What is he? Well, he's God. I know, but what what is he? He's he's father. Yes, yes, but but how does he act as a father? How? C. S. Lewis, and many of us are familiar um, with The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, famous story, made a movie out of it. And There's this conversation between Lucy and Mr. Beaver, and she says, then isn't he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good, and he is the king. He isn't safe. He isn't tame. But he's good. But he's full of love, and he wants you. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be, that, that is unshakable, or that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. This is where we need to get. We've received this kingdom that can't be shaken. But I want to worship God. I want to have a reverence and an awe, understanding that he is wild and that he is dangerous. Stay with me. And then it says, for our God is a devouring fire or a consuming fire. And it, can I tell you, he wants to burn more than in your heart. Consuming means all So how do we approach him? We believe that he is. And we believe that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So he's saying, I'm wild. He's saying, I am dangerous, but I want you to seek me diligently. See, God is not safe, but we are. (laughs) It's good news. Let me say that again. God is not safe, but we are. There is a reason to be afraid. But we don't have to be. See, you only fear the lion if you're not part of his pride. And we say, well, what about grace? Grace does not change God's nature. Grace changes our approach. So because of grace, you have full access. Because of grace, you can go before this wild, untamable, unrestricted, come on, unsafe God. You can go there with confidence. Why? Because Jesus because God loved us even while we were yet sinners. Even whenever we were, could have been fodder for the lion, if you will. God demonstrated his love for us. God wanted us. God, who loves wildly, loved us. See, his roar is an invitation. We should not fear approaching him. We should fear the distance. We should not fear approaching him, knowing that he's holy. Knowing that he's different, knowing that he's unsafe. We should not fear approaching him. We should fear the distance. What would I do with my life if God wasn't in it? The bad wild would kick in. We're going to talk about being wild men and women next week because God does want to rewild you. Hebrews 4.16, talking about Jesus. So let us come boldly. I thought he was unsafe. Let us, because of Jesus, who we have a high priest that represents us before the Father, who has dealt with the sin, who has dealt with, with, with the unworthiness that we carried. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God that we may receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. When do we need it most? When we approach him. We need it most when we approach him because he's untamable and he's wild and he's unsafe. So we need grace to approach him. And we need grace through our circumstance. We need grace through every situation, but we can approach him boldly because of Jesus. And he wants to put boldness in us. How do we seek a God that is wild? Boldly and wildly, the same way that he pursued us. And that's what we'll be digging into for the next three or four weeks. So, we're going to cast off our lenses, we're going to cast away our fences in pursuit of this wild, untamed, unhindered God who loves us deeply. We're not going to fear him. It's interesting that as we look through the scriptures, when God shows up, the most common thing that he says to start off the conversation is fear not. We've become all too familiar with who he is. Beloved, would you treasure his presence? Would you treasure his invitation?